Matthew 13, verse 11, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, we think of mystery, sometimes we think of something that's unsolvable, right? When the Bible uses the term mystery, it's, it means something that you could not know unless God reveals it to you. Something you could not know without it being revealed to you. I think of the child, and maybe some of you are in this boat, I don't know. You grow up in a home and you assume mom and dad are your biological parents, but there's that moment where you're 15 or so, and they sit you down and say, hey, we got to tell you something. When you're a little baby, we adopted you. You would not know that unless they revealed it to you. That's what the Bible means when it says mystery. Jesus is revealing mysteries of the kingdom to his disciples all through chapter 13. And believe it or not, we're going to do a high-level overview of all seven of these mysteries of the kingdom today. Say, why? Are you crazy? Maybe. It's because we're not doing a series on the parables of Jesus. We're doing a series on the book of Matthew. But I want you to see the pictures. Each one of these pictures represents a familiar story that you probably know Jesus told. We've already done the first two, the sower of the seed, the wheat and the tares. You've got the mustard seed, the, the flour and the leaven, the pearl of great price, the hidden treasure, and the fish in the net. Today, we are going to aim to do a high-level overview of all of these. But one thing that's cool, as we go through these, I see them in groups. They're grouped together by themes. And each of these four themes is going to start with an M. We're going to start with the first two. Just a quick review because we've already preached entire sermons on each of them. I see the first two tied together by the word mixture. Mixture. You look at the, the parable of the sower and the seed. We learn that there is a mixed response in human hearts to the truth of God's word. Right? You look at the wheat and the weeds. We learn that there's... In this time period, a mixture of kingdom sons and daughters and sons and daughters of the evil one. And we were reminded of our purpose as believers, right? We're not weed wannabes. We're not weed whackers. We are what? We're, we're witnesses. Witnesses to the king. There's a mixture but there's going to be a glorious crop nonetheless. Both of those stories lead to a glorious crop. So what do we do with that? I'd encourage you as a believer to expect it. Expect both of those. You expect the current mixture. It's going to help keep you realistic as you're out on your, your mission. Right? It's going to keep you from being discouraged. It's also going to keep you hopeful for that glorious harvest that is to come. That's all we need to say about those because we've been there, done that with those two parables. I want to move on to the next two. The mustard seed and the leaven, or the yeast. This one's fresh in my mind because almost every Friday lately, Carolyn's been making homemade pizza. She gets that dough out, starts out pretty flat, gets that pack of yeast, puts it on the oven, turns on the warmer, and, and we watch that dough rise, and we can't wait to eat. But first, the mustard seed. Verse 31. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed 
that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. And in that part of the world at that time, that was true. That was the smallest seed any farmer in Israel at that time would ever come across. You can see it between the guy's fingers there. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. People tell us sometimes these will grow to 15 feet tall. It's like a, a, a large, bushy, tree-looking thing. You say, well, it's not exactly like a majestic oak tree, right? But think about this. Today, in this period of history, God's kingdom does not always appear to be majestic either. But think about this. An oak tree... Largest majestic tree. It comes from a large seed, an acorn, right? The tree is in accordance with the size of its seed. The emphasis in what Jesus is saying about his kingdom with the mustard seed is the surprising transformation from this tiny, tiny little seed, the tiniest seed any of these guys would have ever seen, to this huge bush. It would have been surprising and striking. Big enough. Go on with me in verse 32, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, I think Jews who were listening on that day, who knew their Old Testament, their minds would have raced back to the book of Daniel. There was a king who ruled the whole world named Nebuchadnezzar. And there was a vision about him that involved birds. Daniel chapter 4, he had had a dream about a tree, and Daniel explains it to him. Verse 20 of Daniel 4, Daniel says, The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven. And your dominion to the ends of the earth. They would have been thinking about Nebuchadnezzar, this this worldwide ruler at the time. Let me ask you a question. Where is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom today? Even when Jesus talked to his disciples on this day, where was Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom? It was long gone. They they likely would have heard, he's saying the, the, the true Eternal king is here, and his kingdom will shine in all of its majesty and glory one day. They would have thought of Daniel chapter 2. You look at the ups and downs of the world we live in. I love the vision of the statue that represented man's kingdoms. You remember that? But at the end of all man's kingdoms on that statue, Daniel 2.35 speaks of a stone that struck the image and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. You say, what's that stone? Thankfully, Daniel told us in verse 44. He says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it, his kingdom, shall stand forever. Anybody looking forward to that? How about Habakkuk 2.14? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord 
as the waters cover the sea. I think a theme that ties these together was that many beginnings, but it's going to lead to a big finish. A big finish. And you say, what do I do with that in my life? What's some application? Well, I think at least of this. Never underestimate the potential of small things in the hands of an infinite God. Don't underestimate small things in the hands of an infinite God. The Jews knew this. Think back to their history. Abraham and Sarah, one childless couple, elderly to boot, began a nation in God's hands. Think of his grandson Jacob running away from home so his brother doesn't kill him. Talk about desperate situation, but coming home later with 12 sons of his own who will become the fathers of that nation of Israel. What about the rebuilding of the temple after Nebuchadnezzar let him come back? You remember how some of the Jews were depressed because they remembered Solomon's temple in the past? They're like, man, this is taken forever and it's tiny. They were bummed out, many of them. But Zechariah the prophet encouraged them in Zechariah 4.10. He said, listen, whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. Don't despise the day of small things in the hand of God. Malachi amplified that in chapter 3, verse 1, when he said, The Lord whom you are waiting for will suddenly appear in this temple. And he did. We know that from the Gospels. The Messiah walked into that temple several times. Don't despise the day of small things. Or think about the eleven apostles locked up in a room while Jesus was being crucified. All that was going through their minds. I was thinking about this. Wouldn't it be cool if like, you could find Doc Brown and Marty McFly in their DeLorean and say, hey, let's... Let's go back there and and knock on the door. And if if they would let you in, say, hey, guys, I'm from this place 2,000 years from now called America. And I just want to encourage you to hang in there. I'm a Christian now because you guys remain faithful. And and just a little bit, your Savior is going to rise. And you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And because of your faithfulness, you will change the world. Wouldn't that be cool? Turns out, they don't need you and I to do that. All they needed was a glimpse of their risen Lord and the Holy Spirit upon them. And they did just that. But how small did it look at that moment? Locked up in that room. Don't despise the day of small things in the hands of an infinite God. I want to go on with the leaven. It has a similar theme. Many beginnings, big finish. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, I don't know my dry measures. I don't know how many of you are up, up to snuff on that. So I looked up, like, what's a, what's a bushel or three measures of flour? And different scholars suggest different amounts, so I can't say for sure, but one said that's like eight gallons of flour. If you're talking liquid measure. That's a, that's a lot of flour, at least enough to free, feed a large family, maybe part of a a village. 
But what about this leaven thing? What is Jesus teaching here? Because throughout Scripture, sometimes leaven is used to represent sin, hypocrisy. So is he talking about false growth in the church, false teaching, sin in the church? You know, on Passover, they were supposed to get rid of all the leaven in their houses. Some people teach that. And Jesus doesn't explain. So, so they could be right. But I don't believe that because leaven was not always representative of evil in Scripture. Think about this. Michael Green helped me see something. Leaven is exactly how guys like Saul the Pharisee would have seen the early church. Right? Right? He said this. This is just what his followers must have seemed to respectable Jews, common fishermen and farmers, carpenters and women tax collectors and disreputable characters. But God is like that. He takes distasteful characters, transforms them, and then transforms society through them. Not to mention, even in the Old Testament, leaven was not always bad. On the Feast of Pentecost, the priest would carry out two loaves of leavened bread. Now think about that in light of what we're talking about here. The day of Pentecost. Fast forward to Acts 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon the church and enables them to do what they're called to do, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, to Jews and Gentiles alike. That same day, that priest was was bringing out two loaves of leavened bread in Jerusalem. That's why many people believe they represent Jews and Gentiles. What, What are we getting at here when we talk about leaven? I believe he's getting at it's hidden. Okay, you don't always see it. It's in, once it's in the dough, you can't. There's the leaven. There's the leaven, but it's also pervasive, and it's permeating, and it's powerful, and it will do its work, providing a meal for many. So, what do we do with this application-wise? Many beginnings, but a big finish. Join it. I want to encourage you to join the movement. Stop underestimating what God can do through small things. And I want to mention some of the things I think we underestimate sometimes. Don't underestimate the power of a moment. The power of keeping your word and being there. Whether it's for your family or a friend or or someone that needs to see and hear about Jesus. Don't underestimate a moment, even if it's brief. Do not underestimate the power of an encouraging word to a broken brother or a gospel seed planted to someone that does not know Jesus Christ. Don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate a short prayer that you send up to the Almighty Father on behalf of someone that you love. Don't underestimate a a kind deed for someone. If it does take ten seconds, don't underestimate it. I, I saw that this week. I, I stopped by to see Leanne. Many of you know Leanne. When we met at Granville Elementary School years ago, she was the kindergarten teacher who opened and closed for us there. She's on hospice now, facing her last days in a battle with cancer. She told me she just finished her 24th year of teaching and she finished up those report cards in the middle of all this. Went to see her and her mom at her house and And one of the things that blessed my heart, I had been preceded by several Christian teachers in the community that that know her and love her. 
And not only did they spend time with her, but just outside of her window where she could see outside, they brought 10 or 12 potted flowers so she could see them in her last day. Don't underestimate things like that. Don't underestimate. I think about how four of our youth joined some other kids from other youth groups down at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. They might have wondered, what can four of us do? Well, together those youth groups stuffed 1,800 envelopes on behalf of the unborn to help get more support for the Community Pregnancy Center. Don't underestimate the power of your gifts like Megan talked about to send a kid to camp and give them a chance for God to meet them there. I think about this and I think about a dad in our church that some of you know and love, Will. I was visiting with Will this week and maybe some of you with grown kids relate to this. He's prayed for years and years and years for for his kids to long for the things of God like like he wants them to. Sometimes not seeing results of those prayers, but he told me this week that he heard from his two daughters, grown daughters. One of them called and said, Dad, I pulled down the Bible that that you gave me when I was baptized. And he said, hey, I got an idea for you. Why don't you open that and just wherever it lands, you go ahead and start reading. And she opened it. She said, it's Psalm 119. He said, that's 176 verses, but it's a really good one about how precious God's word is. Dive in. And she did. He he talked about another daughter who he's been praying for, who recently said, Dad, don't you keep a journal when you read your Bible every morning of what God is showing you in his word? And he said, yeah. She said, would you please send me a picture of your journal every morning? You know how he rejoiced after all those years of prayer? Now, he's got a third Third one, not quite there yet, but I tell you, those first two stories give them encouragement to keep on praying, right? Sometimes you don't see it. Sometimes it may seem small. But keep on keeping on. Join it. I want to talk about the treasure and the pearl. Together, these tell us that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is most valuable. It is most valuable. I want to start with the hidden treasure. Verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Now, does it say this guy was looking for treasure? It doesn't say that. It could be that he was just out working, just walking around. We don't know. All we know, he found the treasure, covered it up. And this was probably not a treasure chest like, the, like I got up here for the pirates. I just put that because it's familiar. It was not uncommon in the Middle East for, for people to take their coins and other valuables and put them in a jar and bury them in a field because war was common. And if you wanted to come back and get that, you better hide it. So maybe he finds a jar full of coins and, and what, what happens? It says, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Do you notice that phrase, in his joy, he went and sold all that he had so that he could buy his field? He's not out there. Sell everything I had. He's like, woo! somebody buy this. Somebody buy this. It's like uh, I think about one of our sons. We were at a garage sale. And he found a sleuth for, for gold panning. He knew what it was. He looked it up on Amazon and it was worth like 100 bucks. 
And uh, all he had that day was just a little more than ten bucks. And he asked the people what they wanted to pay for it. And they're in this big discussion. They didn't even know what it was. They're just talking. So finally we say, would you take ten dollars? It was almost all he had. And they said, sure. Let me ask you a question. On the way back to the, the van, was he like, mm, I can't believe I spent almost all I had. No, he was like, I want to go to the creek today. <laughs> and we did. Let me ask you a question if you're a believer. Would that kind of joy describe your walk with Jesus? I hope so. If not, maybe we just don't understand who we have. I'm going to talk about the pearl of great value. Similar, but it's got some differences. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. This guy was looking. And historians tell us there were divers even back then looking for pearls. Sometimes the Red Sea, and if you found a really good one, it could be worth like a million dollars in today's economy. He's searching and he's, he's seen some. But verse 46 says, who on finding one pearl of great value, he's, he's never seen one like this, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Think about him searching. He was looking. And I think about someone like Nabil Qureshi. How many of you have heard that name? He grew up in a Muslim home. Grew up in a Muslim home. Came to know Christ Jesus as his Savior. And he wrote a book about the, the journey God had him on. You know what it's called? Seeking Allah. Finding Jesus. He couldn't find what he was looking for in Allah. God led him to find it in Jesus. I think of him when I think of this. The man again went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's a common thread in both of them. Which leads me to the second point. It's most valuable, but the kingdom of heaven takes sacrifice. Now, those of you who are theologically astute are rightfully saying, hold on a second. I thought biblically salvation was free. And you are correct. In Ephesians 2.8, what's it say? By grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. That is absolutely true. But listen to this. If you determine to live as a faithful citizen of the kingdom of heaven in this world, it will cost you. It will cost you. Think of some of the things Jesus said. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. I think about the Apostle Paul. There was one time in Acts 14, he was witnessing. He was stoned and, and left for dead. When he came to, instead of running away, Acts 14.21 says he returned. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying to them that through many tribulations... We must enter the kingdom of God. Verses like that do not make t-shirts, but do we believe the truth of those every bit as much as we believe the truth of Ephesians 2, 8 
9 and 10. Some may be saying, why is it worth all that? Because of who the king is. Because of who the king is. In fact, some look at these two stories, the treasure and the pearl, and they say the one who finds the treasure and sells all he has is actually Jesus. They they say the treasure hidden in a field is Israel because Israel is referred as a treasure multiple times in the Old Testament. They say the pearl of great price is the church and some have even gone as far as to say how is a pearl formed? It's formed out of a wound in an oyster. Now this parable only only means one of those two things, but both these realities are true. Think of what Christ laid aside to pursue you and I. Philippians 2, 5. says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Or how about Isaiah 53? You think of what it cost him. The pursuit of you and I. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Sacrifice is worth it because of who the king is. Now flip it back around. Think of someone searching. I think of someone searching. I think of a conversation I had at Denny's with a friend of mine this week. My friend remembers being on his tricycle as a little boy and his dad leaving the driveway. And that was the last time he ever saw him. And as we're talking, he told me about a country music artist named Jimmy Wayne who had a similar, similar story. Grew up like every boy looking for unconditional love and acceptance from his father. Jimmy Wayne wrote a song that reflects his own story. I want you to take it in and then I'll come back up.
to hate him. What he had done is what kind of father could do that to his son. The man didn't blame, but the little boy cried. So I'm supposed to preach after that, right? (laughs) That's why the kingdom of heaven is most valuable. That's why the king himself is most valuable. And he's worth any, any sacrifice, right? So pursue it. Here's the application. Pursue it with all you got. With all you got. Last one. Fish in the net. What I see in this short one is that the kingdom of heaven as we know it today is moving toward an end. It's moving toward an end. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. I'd like to learn a thing or two from these guys. Spend another day at the lake with the boys and Carolyn this week with with nothing to show for it. But what they're talking about here is is the drag net. Behind their boat, they would drop this net and pull it. And as they went, just whatever happened to be there was was caught up in the net. And an attentive Jew likely would have thought back to Nebuchadnezzar again. Because as the prophet Habakkuk thought about what Nebuchadnezzar was doing around the world, listen to what he said to God in Habakkuk 1.14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And then he starts to talk about Nebuchadnezzar in verse 15. Nebuchadnezzar, he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with this net. He gathers them in his drag net. So he rejoices and is glad. 
But again, you could ask the same question we asked before. Where is Nebuchadnezzar's great power now? It is history. But in the end, Jesus, the true and eternal king, will draw in all men into his net. What happens then? Verse 48. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's moving toward an end, but listen closely. It requires a choice now. Prepare for it. Prepare for it. Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. Are you prepared? Maybe you're saying, what's the difference between the good and the evil in the parable? Is it their own self-powered resume? The good have a longer one? No. All through Scripture, those who are saved are saved only because they have received the righteousness of God. Paul talked about this in Romans 1.16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. You receive the righteousness of God through faith in Christ and His sacrifice and His resurrection. There is no other way. I've been thinking about this being prepared a lot the the past couple weeks. We've had two people in our world that have been on the brink of eternity these past couple weeks. One of them was the teacher I mentioned earlier. I wanted to to see her because I wasn't sure where she stood with the Lord. All I knew was she was super supportive of the church when we were there. She was she was really supportive, but I wanted to talk to her about that. I got there and we shared some memories of our time there. We we remembered the time we set off the fire alarm and the the um we found out it wasn't any fire and we didn't know how to turn it off, so we kept having service right through the fire alarm. You remember that, Aaron? That was an interesting service. We, we laughed together about the time when we had a barbecue and then the fire department showed up because, because the neighbors thought we were burning the school down. And we ended up feeding the fire guys too. That was a good day. But then we got to talking about things and she talked about her battle with cancer. And I started to talk with her about Jesus and I shared John 3.16 with her. I said, for God so loved the world, Leanne, he, he gave his only son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I was so relieved to hear her say, oh, I've already trusted in Jesus. The rest of our time turned into sharing verses about heaven and what she has to look forward to. The other one was our neighbor across the street. Ambulance and fire trucks showed up there. He was hauled off. Turned out, after we talked to his wife that day, he had had a heart attack. 
got there and his doctor was there, removed the blockage immediately. A couple of days home later, he was home and I'm talking to him in his garage and talking about things. And I said, you've been thinking about things like that was, wow, being back here after all you went through. And I said, I wouldn't be much of a friend if I didn't ask you about where you stand with Jesus. And he said, oh, I trust in Jesus. I was so relieved to hear that again. Those who are prepared, are we? Are, are the people that we know and love out there ready? He closes this section of parables by looking at his disciples, verse 51. And he says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And what I hear him telling them and us today is, hey, take in the lessons I've taught you guys through these parables. But, but don't, don't chuck the old either. It's like treasure. And there's one story of redemption that goes from the first page to the last. You think about the wonders of this treasure we have. I like what Stephen Lawson said. The Bible was written over 1,600 years and 66 books by over 40 authors on three continents and three languages, yet comes together as one book. Wow. You've probably heard it said that the old is in the new revealed, the new is in the old concealed. And we see that right in the same chapter. Why did Jesus preach parables? Well, Matthew, as he likes to do, says one reason was to fulfill prophecy. He looks back at Psalms. Look at Matthew thirteen thirty four. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. He goes back to Psalms. I will open my mouth in parables. Jesus fulfilled prophecy in the old. A couple more thoughts about the wonders of Scripture, the treasure we have. And these are from men on different sides of the theological spectrum, but both love the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said, Nobody ever outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. How many of you who have been on the journey for some time have found that? I see some hands going up. John Wesley said, At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. It's John Wesley. Jesus calls it treasure. I can't think about treasure because of when I grew up without thinking about Scrooge McDuck. Anybody else grow up watching that cartoon? You remember his treasure room with all the coins? Remember how he would swim in the coins? That's why I hear Jesus inviting us to do, not literally, of course, but to be those who swim around in the treasure of His Word, who, who enjoy it moment by moment, day by day. And not only for ourselves, but that we might have something to share with those around us. I'll close with this. A verse from Isaiah about the servant of the Lord. And I thought, how wonderful would it be if every believer woke up with this attitude? 
Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. What if we came to the Lord like that? Lord, open my ears that I may be taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. And what better word for the weary that we need in this world than the word that there is a king named Jesus who gave his life for them and rose again that they might have salvation. Unconditional love and citizenship in a kingdom that will never end. May we be those who share that word. Lord, thank you for this chapter. Thank you for unpacking the truth of your kingdom to your disciples. And I pray that as we step out from here, these words would resonate not just in our ears, but but in our lives. That we would keep in mind the mixture where we find ourselves living now. And not give up a trust that there's that, that glorious harvest coming someday. To not despise many beginnings because we know the finish is going to be glorious beyond all imaginations. Lord, to understand that Your kingdom is far and above more valuable than any other. Your kingdom is the hidden treasure. The pearl of great price. And we have a king who pursued us at great cost to himself. And last but not least, may we remember it is moving toward an end. May we be prepared. And for those of us who are, rejoice in that glorious day. For those who aren't, draw them to the cross that they might share that hope. Help us be faithful messengers to those who need hope. And the King of Kings. The Lord of Lords, it's in His name we pray. Amen.